Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. You may remember a few weeks ago, we were very kindly sponsored by Coin Corner, who make the world of buying and selling Bitcoin easier than ever. However, as I introduced Coin Corner and tried to explain a little bit about Bitcoin, I said that Elon Musk would even let you buy a Tesla using Bitcoin. Then a few hours before that episode went live, Elon Musk came out and said, you can no longer buy a Tesla using Bitcoin. And I looked a bit silly. Luckily, Coin Corner are pretty lighthearted about these things. And they realise they can't control the price of Bitcoin before any sponsorship goes live. And they very kindly offered to sponsor a number of future episodes of this podcast. So we're very grateful to have them on board. If all this chat about Bitcoin's got you intrigued, if you noticed the comment section of that episode going crazy with people talking about the pros and the cons of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, head over to coincorner.com forward slash STG. Well, not only can you sign up and start trading Bitcoin, but you can also find out a lot more. There's some amazing information on there so you can read up about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and decide if you want to get involved. If you do, as I say, coincorner.com forward slash STG or use my code STG when you sign up. And that way you'll get some sats, which are basically very small units of a Bitcoin. I got into the Bitcoin game late. I couldn't afford to buy a whole Bitcoin. So I own sats, just small units. And that's what you'll get for free when you sign up using that code STG or my link coincorner.com forward slash STG. So yes, thanks to them for ignoring my slight mess up a few weeks ago and willing to come back and sponsor future episodes. Hello one and all and welcome to Behind the Glass. I'm your host, Sam, from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. And I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. Yes, you are. Uh, Each week we get together, we talk about cars, motorsport, F1... Car, what else? Cars? Cars? We cars, cars, cars. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash behind the glass. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And Tony, if people want to support this podcast, what should they do? Watch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but also head to Patreon. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash behind the glass. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. It is so hot today. If any of you are watching this on the YouTube channel in HD. I apologise because in about 10 minutes, I think we're both going to look, we just stepped out of a shower. It is really warm. 32 degrees, I think, in London in today. In here, it's about 58. Well, yeah, because we've got loads of lights. We've got lights on, <laughs> heat well. travels upwards. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a sauna in here. I've opened as many windows as I can. I've, uh, well, that's all I'm saying. I just it must warning be cooler people. downstairs, though. It's so much cooler downstairs, but those mould mushrooms. Oh, the mushrooms. Yeah, the mould yeah. mushrooms. Which, you know, I don't know how much I should be talking about those, but there are some mould mushrooms in the downstairs section of STG, STGHQ at the moment. I don't think it's safe to be around them. So until they're gone, we have to be up here in the sauna. But that's what we're going we're gonna to power through. Like the Formula One drivers at the British Grand Prix on Sunday. <laughs> 
that <laughs> I know you've done a full podcast, but I thought we'd talk about it a little bit. I knew that was coming. I'll help promote the F1 series that I do here on Behind the Glass. So yeah. after the checkered flag, uh, this year after each Formula One Grand Prix, uh, Paul Wallace and I sit down and chat through the race weekend. And, and this is one of our favourite races to review. And I think one of our most popular episodes so far on the on the F1 series. So I mean, it was. It's gone live. It's gone live. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, already it's gone, gone out. Live. At time of us recording this, it's already gone out and it's flying already. Good. So it was a controversial weekend and, and good to see. I did, should we talk about it? Well, well I, don't I mean, you're podcast. such. I mean, I, okay, I'd like no, to touch uh, on it. Yes. So I'll just ask, I'm not going to say anything because I've spoken for an hour about it already. Uh, tell me your thoughts on the Hamilton Verstappen crash quite quickly. <sighs> I, I, We spoke. I thought it was a racing incident. When we spoke, we was all messaging and. And you said, which you probably already repeated, you thought he would get a penalty. I probably thought it was a little bit harsh. There was a gap. He was alongside him. However, I do get the point that, you know, he probably weren't heading towards the apex. He was understeering into the car. He obviously never intentionally went to have him off. I think he thought there was going to be wheel-to-wheel contact and he was going to push him out of the way a bit like, you know, that's happened before as in, Verstappen's done that to Lewis a few times obviously not at that speed but he has still done it I, I think it's a racing incident um, <sighs> mate let them race they're racing I mean flipping hell it's Formula 1 it's Formula 1 the pinnacle of racing and they're arguing about you know what makes me laugh is that 100% roles reversed Verstappen would have done exactly the same thing he'd have fired it up the, in, up the inside no problem agreed yeah We'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, if you want to hear more about this, then head over and check out the After the Checker Flag series and our latest episode from the British Grand Prix. I think it's titled British Grand Prix Reaction. And you can hear a whole hour long episode where Paul and I deep dive in to all the things that happened during that race weekend. Uh, anyway, we've got a few new patrons to welcome. Actually, we've got a whole load of new patrons that have been joining up. Yeah, over the last couple of months, we've kind of missed out shouting them out. So I'm just going to I'm just gonna go crazy now. Uh, D. Neil, I'm going to go. Let, let's suggest. Where Dave, are these Dave, people from? Dave Neal, I'm just going to suggest. All right. Uh, all over the world, mate. As we know, our patrons are from all over the world. Uh, I couldn't tell you exactly where D Neal is from. Right. I'm going to assume it's called David, but maybe you're not. Sorry. Uh, Nicholas, Harry Stone, Zayn Mahmood, uh, Hugh Lloyd, Joe Kendrick, Boston Taylor, Mike, Emil Soddy, Soddy, Emil Soddy, sorry, from Canada, uh, Oliver Butlin, uh, G-Man's Bikes and Bits. Are you promoting your own business there, Grant? I think you might be. Uh, Brandon Wellington, James Watson. I mean, the list keeps going. All these are heroes. David Allison Calvert, Stuart Roberts, Matthew Lang, Sid Merrock, Connor Square. I mean... How many have we got? How many have we got now? How, How many, many in got? total? How many patrons? I Cu- think 250 or something like Beautiful. that. Beautiful. Unbelievable. The best people in the world. Yeah, but we do yeah. love the rest of you as well. Of course. I mean, we love all of our listeners, but yeah. our patrons do make us feel quite special, don't they? They do, yeah. I'm, I need to get back to some of your messages. Apologies. Stay tight. I'm just, I've been a bit frantic and I've been a bit slow on the replies. But anyway, just wanted to shout you guys out because you're awesome. Now, <laughs> I have to unfortunately kickstart the car chat this week. With a not a confession or an admission or what's it called when you know what's it called when you sort of wave the white flag or basically I'm going to admit that you were right about something and I just oh it pains me so much to say time to time I mean I can't get everything wrong no (laughs) (laughs) but we do tend to disagree on quite a bit and there was one thing recently which I really disagree with you on but I now have to agree with you on and is about manual gearboxes and whether 
they might be a little bit obsolete these days, that now automatics is so good and yeah. cars are so powerful. Maybe PDKs, or sorry, I've just given away a bit of my story. <laughs> Maybe automatic gearboxes are the better route to go. Well, I've just got out of a PDK GT4. Oh, I mean, that will be good. Oh, it was so good. Really? Oh, my God. Okay, so a few things to to address here. Obviously, uh, most people now know I decided to sell my 911. We talked about it last week. Uh, and whenever, How's it doing? How's it doing? Uh, well, this is going to be good. As of today, I think it's at like 27 and a half grand, something like that. But How when many guys left? Well, it goes, I think it ends on Thursday. So by the time this episode's out, I think it's ended. Oh. I don't know. It's all a bit... Hey, you know, as long as someone buys it and enjoys it, that's all the line care about. Um, but what was I going to say? I've said it before. Whenever I sell a Porsche, I immediately want another Porsche. Of course, yeah. yeah. So I got this GT4 and I was like, Ugh, am I making a mistake? Should I just keep hold of the 911? Mm. And then I went, well, it's not a GT4, is it? Um, so yes, I think going into this experience, I wasn't that excited because you know, you know my frustrations with the Boxer Spider, 718 Spider. Yep. I found the engine a bit dirty because of that long gearing. It's just a bit uncharacterful. And I don't know, it was very good, but yeah, yeah. it didn't excite me. The PDK gearbox, I mean, just brings that car to life. It just changes it, yeah, because of the gear ratios. Well, okay, so the gear ratios make a difference. Obviously, you've got seven gears instead of six. Yeah. And they're slightly shorter in the first few gears. So yeah. let's say with the manual, second gear gets you up to 84 miles an hour. Yeah. I think in the PDK, it's 73 or so. Or, yeah. So it's not... Hugely different. No, but that'll make a difference, mate. Yeah. As does, believe it or not, the 10, yes, 10 newton meters of torque. Because that PDK gearbox is so clever, mm. the car is always a lot more alert. It's yeah. always a lot more on it and yeah. ready and raring to go. Whilst obviously the manual is fantastic because you're involved in the experience and you're shifting and all these things. Oh, oh, someone's oh, calling oh. me. Oh, hello. What's happened? My phone's ringing out loud on my laptop. What's happened? Can I check that? Because I'm trying to sell my house and I just want to make sure that's not the estate agent. <laughs> Meanwhile, tell everyone why you would assume a PDK GD4 is going to be better. Well, mate, it's going to be better because one, because of the gear ratio, of course. Um, uh, like I said, I, I think it's just a bit too fast to uh, in, in a manual to manage the power. Um it's a bit like what I was saying the other day about the about the the M2 comp manual and the and the DCT car. I I just think it's that little bit too fast to to uh, you know. Like I said, I know you can control it and you can because you, when you're in a manual car, you can control your speed. You're not going as fast, but these manufacturers are making cars faster and faster and faster. Then. Don't, don't make them fast then. Make them slow and everyone have a manual gearbox. But so this is the thing for me. It wasn't that the car is too fast for a manual gearbox. It's the fact that with that engine, which in my opinion only comes to life in the final 500, dare I say, a 1,000 RPM, where yeah. in a sense you've got to really rev that engine out to, to make it sort of come alive mm. and to, to really perform. And with the manual gearbox, that's a, a, an effort because the gears are so long and you're sort of constantly chasing that final rev range you know you're always shifting down and you need to keep it sort of or just leave it in gear at which point you can do the whole of the uk in second gear yeah a little bit dull yeah with the pdk firstly you can sort of obviously switch between the gears quicker you've got a teeny bit more torque so there's a little bit more urgency anyway and shorter gear ratios so whether you're completely in manual control with the flappy paddles or using the shifter or you just leave it to do its own thing the car is always just a little bit more ready, a little bit more urgent, 
The engine feels a bit more responsive. I just thought it brought the car to life. So how I, if I'm ever driving a, a, a PDK car, um, I always drive in manual with them. I don't, I don't drive them in automatic because I still think they're a little bit lazy and there's a bit of hesitant, unless I'm in town. So if I'm in town in central London, I, I was out in the Turbo S at the weekend, and I was in town, and you just leave it in automatic, that's fine. You just, you're just pooling around. And if I was in town in a PDK GT4, it's exactly just leave it in auto and comfort. Like we've said about these modern cars now, there's so many different modes to drive it. If you drive a manual car, there's only one real mode, manual, was if you drive an automatic, uh, you know, like these clever gearboxes, one of our two favourite cars, the M5 Competition, it's four cars in one. <laughs> 52 settings. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do so many. And that partly is because of how good the gearbox is and how well it suits the engine. And I, I just think now these modern cars and these modern engines, they just suit an automatic or a double clutch gearbox personally well yes you know so as i said i fought you a little bit on this when we talked about it at the last uh, behind the glass live event but but i do concede at least for that gt4 i actually will come out and say that i think it suits the car better and there'll be a lot of purists and i shocked myself going into that i thought that would never be the case it's the kind of car that i would always want a manual weirdly if i had the spider i think i would still go manual even though i didn't really gel with it but that gd4 with pdk and let's face it porsche say the fastest way to go around a track these days is with pdk that's why the 3rs the 2rs is equipped with them um and so if you're tracking a gt4 that's that's a track car really isn't it i mean i know it's used on the road a lot too yeah but yeah is it, but but yeah you're right as in uh, you know there's so many different things you can do with an automatic gearbox that you can't do you've got to get all your gearing done before a corner on a on a, on a manual car with a pdk you can do it as you're going in and, and you can use the gears as you're going out as well. You can't really do that with a, with a manual. It's easier to chase that torque, to chase that sweet spot of that particular engine in that car. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to bow down to you, but I, I will concede. I would say that the occasion. M2 Comp is the same. As in, I'm not saying it's a bad car in a manual or, or an automatic. And it is personal preference. And it's my personal preference because overall, I just think they're a, they're a better machine. They're a better tool for being an automatic or a PDK. They've got one extra gear. They use most of the power of the engine all the way through the ranges being, you know, they just, you know, execute all the power. And I don't think you do that in a manual. Fair enough. Well, a new car's launched today, which is definitely not going to be available in manual. And we can talk about that. The new RS3. The new RS3. It launched today. That. Did you see? Because it literally launched on your as you were on your way here. It launched. Yeah. So do you know anything about quid it? That car. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a few kid. Uh, a quid. I, I know nothing about it. I've literally I opened do. the article because it launched. I was busy while well, dropping that I GT4. Know you know bits. Oh, go on then. Yeah. Real stuff off. I'll I'll fact check so you with you the article. Me. Yeah, go on. So uh, fifty-one or fifty-two thousand quid start. So that's sixty thousand quidish, basically. Okay. Um, it's, by the time you put any options by on, by the time you put it, yeah. it's got a, a, an active drift, drift mode like the Golf R and the A45s. So it's quite clever. I'm not going to go into it too much, but these drift modes in these new modern cars, they still have a Haldex unit at the front. Right. But what they do is they have two clutches on the back axle, so it's all so the torque gets thrown to if you're turning right. 
this is right. <laughs> I was gonna then, say that, that was worrying for a second. Then yeah. the torque will get thrown to the left wheel, which is why it gives you the the slip. The slip okay. essentially. But it's not like an open diff car like a like an M two or a or a Porsche where um you know both wheels can actively spin. I think that drift mode on them cars is a little bit dangerous. So if you're going round and round and round and doing donuts in a car park. But I think if you're trying to drift round a corner, I think it I think it'll probably be very snappy and will snap back at you. So I I think you should just have a proper proper Rear wheel drive car. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's that weirdly synthetic feeling. It basically all started with the Focus RS. Correct. Right? Yeah. And, and the first time I had a go in that, I was always like, oh, it's a bit weird. You know, it's it's not a sort of traditional, you say, rear wheel drive car or how you would slide a car normally. It sort of it feels a bit forced or a little bit electric. And Well, it is forced. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, and so you're right. I, that was on a closed circuit event. So out on the roads, you know what? It's, it's obviously something that people can master. It probably takes a little bit of time to get used to. Mm. But I wonder if the technique on the road, not that it always should be encouraged, closed road, let's say, uh, um, the, the doing a drift mode car, the technique is the same as doing a proper rear-wheel drive. Yeah, because it, go, it, go, it goes against what the car's trying to do because you've got the, you've got the front axle trying to pull you straight and the, the rear axle trying to let loose. So it's probably very similar. I've never tried, but it's probably very similar to drifting a, an electric car. Maybe, Because they're yeah. four-wheel drive, and I, and I have lots of experience of drifting four-wheel drive cars because I've done lots of skidding and lots of donuts in my purple manual. <laughs> I've done a set of tyres on an airfield. But whenever I used to get that car, and that had a different split as well, as in it had 70-30 split, so you could get the back out. But you'd always, the car would always want to straighten itself back up. And these cars, I think, will be no different. Yeah, I'm sure. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, you're right. It's got, got full drift mode. It's saying uh, 395 horsepower. So same same horsepower is yeah. to the old car. A little bit more torque. Um, I think it's, an, uh, it's still a seven-speed double-clutch gearbox. Yeah. Um, the inside looks a little bit like a new S3, couple of little bits and pieces RS stuff. The seats are nice. You can have the inside of the seats the same colour as the body, if you like. There's a few nice, you know, like M cars have the stitching on the seat. Yeah, they've done a few things to make it sort of yeah, stand out. Yeah, you can out. have that on the RS car now. The wheels are lovely. It sits a lot lower than the, than the current it, S3. It looks aggressive, I have yeah. to say, from the photos. You can get carbon ceramics. You can. You could get that on the old car. Could you? Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I find that fairly outrageous on an RS3. And you can option Trofeo R. Yes, I've just well. seen that. Semi-slick tyres. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's getting to the levels now where this, I mean, it, it's not even a super hatch. This is a sports car now. I mean, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is borderline a sports car. I mean, with all the sort of tech that they're talking about. And then weirdly, they've made a big deal about the noise. Audi also highlights the incomparable sound provided by the motor's unique one, two, four, five, three cylinder firing order mm. with a new noise control flap in the exhaust opening at different points. I mean, with all the regulations we know about, I find it quite surprising that they're banging on about noise. So what they might have done there is they might have, by getting away with the emissions or getting around the emissions, what the, what the old RS and S cars used to do pre-19 is when you change gear, they'd make this... Fart. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and, then, and then from 19 to now, that's been dialed out and they, they just change. It's simultaneous because then 
automatic gearboxes, as we spoke about, are very mm. good. But maybe what they've done is they've changed the mapping of how the cylinders go up and down to get it to fart again. I'll, I'll uh, be interested to see if that, that's what they've done. Yeah, with a new noise control flapping the exhaust opening at different points in the rev range. Yeah. Depending on the second driver and an, an, an enhanced engine note as well with the RS Sports exhaust. Yeah. So yeah, they've, they're definitely going to have played around with it because there's not a lot they can do. They can't put a really shouty exhaust on it anymore as we know because of the various filters. But you're right, maybe they've done some cleverness just to, just to bring out a bit of... Aston did it with the Vantage. When they did, the Vantage yeah. And you get that real... You yeah. know, the big fart noise as you as you shift gear. And and you know what? Very interesting that Audi haven't gone down the same trap as a lot of these manufacturers where they've really enhanced the power. What they've done is they've just reworked the car, got a bit more torque out of it, because it is faster than the old car. It won't be large, loads faster, but it is faster. More importantly, it's 0.1 of a second faster to 60 than an A45S, so it's basically the same. Um but what they haven't done, they haven't fallen into that trap of, um, you know, giving it another 40 or 50 horsepower to sell it. Because they will sell them cars, mate. Absolutely no problem at all. Even though they're 60,000 quid, there will be people in their droves. Well, th- and this is your area of the market, which is definitely yeah. why I'm letting you talk, because you know yeah. way more about this car than even this article that I'm reading suggests. Yeah, um, yeah you're right, 20, 20 pound foot talk more than the old car. Yeah. And yes, just, just faster than the A45S. And you're right, it's the kind of car that people will just go out and buy. We've seen Golf R, we think insanely expensive, but people yeah. are buying by the bucket load. I'm starting mm. to see them everywhere. And I think this looks really good, this car, the RS3. Of all the sort of super hatches over the A45, over a M140i or an M, I mean, M2 is a different world. But, yeah. you know, actually, to be fair, there is the RS3 saloon, isn't there? So I don't know what that goes up against. But it's the one that I would go for, essentially. Mm. My question would be is, is, will it now, like so many of these German cars, sort of be so good in terms of the size, which maybe the old generation was as well, that... Well, I don't know. I, I was going to go down the same old story of, oh, it's going to lose a bit of its character and persona, but it's not really what they're about, is it? They're sort of just, they're just you, machines. You know what? We've said this before, and I was literally having a conversation with someone on the phone this morning about the Turbo S and how good it is. It, it, modern cars now are just so good, but because they've so good, they've kind of lost a bit of character. And the, the gentleman I was talking to um, has got an AMG GTR, okay. which is... Although it's a modern car, it has still got a bit of character. It's got that big bonnet. And we've said how much we like them before. The Turbo S doesn't have character, and that's probably the same. It's four-wheel drive. It's just going to be bloody fast and just a nice place to be. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to get across when I was speaking to, to, the, to this guy about the Turbo S. That's the hot, hat version, hot hatch version of that, basically. So the question is, with all of this performance and ability and sort of relative comfort and tech... But at 60 grand, what else are you going to be looking at? Because I say, I think that that's kind of a sports car now. It's not even really a hot hatch. I mean, and in the saloon form, it's a proper bit of kit. And at that point, what could you be doing? You could be getting Supras. You could be getting, what else is there in terms of an affordable sports car? You get a Cayman? You get a Cayman, couldn't you? Get 60 grand? Yeah, Bogo Cayman. Yeah, Bogo it Cayman. It, it's not, in the real world, it won't be as fast as that car. And it's definitely not as practical and you have to you have to remember that sports cars now, they're not like if you take a, a new shape M3 or the the the, the RS5 or the RS4, they're not sixty thousand quid anymore. No, they're for, 80, everything's gone quid. up, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're so right. so, uh, you know, 
actually, it sits where it's supposed to sit. It's, it's just the fact that be. everything's got more expensive. Yeah. But you say, you know, it's not going to be, the performance is going to be the same. Hey, that new RS3, I put it on an English B road with a F8 Tributo. I think the F8 would struggle to keep up with it. Oh, man. In, in the sense where, you know, you, you talk about other supercars, sorry, sports cars, things like that. That car will be as quick as anything on an English country Apart road. Apart from a Turbo S. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Maybe. But, but, mate, honestly, you're, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you, get, you get in any supercar, if you get someone that can drive the RS3, yeah. you won't catch him. No. no chance. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not the only car that's launched recently. Uh, got a couple of others. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is one that I think is really good looking. Have you seen this? Hyundai Kona N. Yes, I saw it. What a cool little looking car. It's like a little baby SUV type thing. It's got limited slip diff, 35 grand, well well priced. I guess this is what, sort of based on the i30M, but in little baby SUV form? Is that the kind of vibe? Yeah, so that, I would say that is the, um, the Cupra, um... The Four Mentor? The Four Mentor competitor. Okay, so yeah, it's saying, uh, placing it squarely between a Puma ST and a T-Rock. So maybe a little tiny bit smaller. Okay, fair enough, than yeah. The, than the Four Mentor. Yeah. Um, maybe the so, Attacker? Yeah, the Kona N has more in common with the i30N than the hot new i20N. Um, it's got the turbocharged four-cylinder... Um, hold on a second, just, I'm literally reading it as we go. Classically well-prepared for one of these podcasts. 300, uh, 300 horsepower. Yeah, 276 horsepower, 300-odd yeah. uh, pound-foot of torque. I think it just looks good. And and we spoke about this, actually. It's a good point you bring up the, the Cooper Four Mentor. That, that it's good that there's this kind of choice now. Like, that's what I like is that, you know, in that market, it, there's loads of options and this thing looks different and alternative and it's kind of cool. And we know how sort of well that N brand is doing for mm. Hyundai, I think. I think the i20N looks super cool. Well, the only this thing is, about that thing there yeah. is that I bet its rivals are probably four-wheel drive and judging by power, it's similar to the i30. I bet that's a two-wheel drive car. Mm. Let me see if I can find it here. Have a, it might have a diff. So yeah, front axle. Well yeah. done. Eight-speed dual-clutch automatic gearbox. Yeah. Put have a diff, have a front diff. Mm. Interesting. So that will drive a bit different. As well. Yeah. You know, that, that's... Because obviously the bloke that works at Hyundai that designs these cars now, he used to be, work for BMW M. Oh, okay. I didn't know he that. Was, yeah, he was the M man. So ah. uh, he's, he's gone over to, to Hyundai now, So um, which is why they've gone down that sports car kind of... Route. Yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. I think they've mm. got it's nice they've got that division. You know, we've seen it with Toyota and the GR brand now, yeah. Hyundai with the N brand. So, uh, yeah, as I say, I'm just a f- I, I think it looks good. I just wanted to mm. talk about it. Cause I think it looks yeah, nice. Yeah. Don't know much else about it. Um, and speaking of things that look nice, I know you're not going to be a big fan. Can we talk about the van? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello. We can. The Aston Martin Valhalla, which, mm. you know, again, like we've spoken quite about the Valkyrie and about all these things, you know, originally launched in Geneva, what, 2019, 2018 or something like that? Oh, when yeah. did the Valhalla first sort of get, you know, now? We was there, uh, remember? Yeah, of course, yeah, when yeah, all yeah. sort of everything got pulled, covers got pulled back. But now we know full production details. Uh, it's going to be for 2023. We've got a, a hybrid V8, 937 horsepower. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of... It doesn't really look like a baby Valkyrie anymore, does it? It looks more like a more significant, like it looks like a car. It looks like a proper car. You know what? You know what I thought it looked like because um, I was messaging the group um, and said, "Oh, they, what they're doing with the Valkyrie," and then I misread things because I do that sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go through some it and think, oh no, what's happened? And I don't the back read, was a V8 hybrid, I, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't read things properly in the when when I read back and read it. Um, I realised it was a completely different car. I remembered that it got unveiled at Geneva. Um, Easy mistake to make, don't worry. Yeah. So, uh, uh, originally I did think, oh, is, is it look a Valkyrie? And I thought, no. You know what it looks like? It looks like a little Koenigsegg. Like a baby yeah, Koenigsegg you're not wrong. Bit. It's like a little bit, it's got a lot of sort of, Design inspiration, I think. I think there's bits of Koenigsegg. There's almost bits of sort of Huayra. Yeah. There's sort of bits of Valkyrie, bits of Maserati MC20. I think it looks a lot like the Project One, mm. the Merc. Yeah, oh yeah. I think it looks a lot like the Project One. Yeah, especially from the front. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's got very, lots of, sort of different design cues. I mean, I think cool. And hey, everyone knows I'm an Aston Martin fan, and I want to see these kind of cool, crazy projects coming from Aston Martin. This uh, pricing wise, did they talk about pricing? Six hundred grand. Thank you so much. Um, is I don't a lot. Know if that's it, plus options. Is a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, again, you look at the SF ninety and go, oh, Ferrari just. Well, it puts it in that firing line, doesn't it? As in, it's similar horsepower, similar setup in terms of hybrid. They're saying that car's got a lot more downforce than the SF ninety. They are similar in weight, as well. The difference in brand value between Ferrari and Aston Martin is huge. You know, Ferrari up here and Aston down here in terms of brand value, and they're trying to charge at least 200 grand more. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's the question, which, you know, you could say... I'm just trying to think DBS versus 812. Where are we at with that? Mm, well, similar on new cars. No, DBS was cheaper. Cheaper, okay. Um, and as used cars, they're still cheaper. Fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
it's a big punchy move and this is all part of Aston Martin trying to rebrand themselves, re-identify themselves. They've got the F1 team and all these different things and pushing towards Valkyrie coming out. We're hopefully going to see a new Vanquish at some point, which is going to be sort of an even babier version of this Valhalla. And I think it's great, but you're right. That's a ton of money. Mm. But Aston Martin need a ton of money. And, you know, it's not easy for them to develop these kind of cars willy-nilly and then just sell them off for 350 grand. Yeah. They're going to have to charge a ton. Yeah, and, and as well, I know that it's going to be production car, right? It's going to yep. be a series production car. I'd be interested to know, one, how many deposits they get and how much they require from people because what Aston have done in recent years with these big stuff, and not just Aston, there's, you know, McLaren do it, Mercedes done it with that Project One. They take a hell of a lot of money off someone, then say, well, hold on a minute, you just got to wait a couple of three years. Mm-hmm. 2023, this isn't turning up until... At least 2023. Do we think... Uh, Is it going to be another Valkyrie? The deposits are going to help finish the Valkyrie. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think that's what they do. They round up across the world. They, you know, because it's free money for them. Of course. It's, it's an injection of money. Uh, with the, and they must use that for development. They, they must do. And this doesn't have to turn up for another five or six years based on no, no. the Valkyrie program. That's right. You know, if I was a Valkyrie customer right now, I think I'd see this and be like, oh, I'd give up on this Valkyrie thing. Give me one of these. But then I'd be like, oh, hold on a sec, actually, though. Because what if I get caught up in the same sort of semi-scam, you know? It's all very mm. exciting, all the ideas. And, hey, look, it's a, it's a big scale back from their original plans to have their own. I think they were going to do their own V6, weren't they? It was, yeah. That was the whole plan. Yeah. And now it's a version of that Mercedes. Again, I guess, I think it's what's in the <clears throat> mixture of what's in the uh, GT Black series with a bit of hybrid tech, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's a flatline V8 car, which is, which is why that, um, that, that Black series doesn't sound... That well, it sounds a little bit like an M5 because they're flatline V8. It's not a burbling V8. It's not like an old C63 engine where sure. it's not flatline. So that's what they're putting in that Valhalla. Yeah, exactly. With the, with the hybrid tech yeah. to, to make it the sort of beast that, that it is. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I want it to exist. I want it to be a thing. I want to be excited. Mm. I want to see it out on the road and all of these different things. I just, I'm a bit nervous with Aston Martin that they're going to, because they talked about there's going to be like 10 more cars before I don't know what date it was, but yeah. you know, they're, they're saying they're going to be churning out all these different models. And I don't remember that Lotus era when, uh, what was his name? It came out and they released all those cars. They released like nine new cars at Geneva yeah. and none of them ever got built. Yeah, And I don't right. want that with Aston where there's going to be constantly all these amazing sort of concepts, all these ideas and we're all going great and then they just never turn up. Well, there was a car underneath that wasn't there was a baby one. The Vanquish. The, yeah. That was the thing. It was the three cars all unveiled basically at the same time at Geneva. You had the Valkyrie in some kind of supposedly production form back then. You had the Valhalla and you had the Vanquish. Mm. And the Vanquish has just gone very quiet. We've never heard anything about that. And then suddenly, two years later, you get a production version of the Valhalla, which is completely different to the car that was well, unveiled. That's the car they should Geneva. be making, mate. The, Vanquish. the little Vanquish. Because 220 grand. 220 whatever. Because yeah, yeah. it's a lot easier to get 250 off someone than it is to get 600. But I think they're all funneled down from the top, if you know what I mean. Fair. Like They needed that Valkyrie funding to then funnel. It's of a course. bit like with Lotus and the Avaya. They needed that big splash moment to announce hey, we're here, we're back, we're doing things, even they know that that car was super niche and mm. only a very few customers were ever going to potentially buy it and it was a new technology. That then made Emira, I think, more exciting because they've yeah. really been... And I think that's Aston's kind of thing. Let's go from the top down. But you're right, I would say, give us Vanquish. Oh, yeah. Let us get, let's actually buy them, let's actually put them on the road yeah. and then build up from there. Yeah. Let's wait and see. But anyway, uh, did you see, by the way, just talking, going back to the British Grand Prix and talking about Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel after the race. 
What was he doing? Clearing up rubbish in the stands. Oh, fair play. He went and worked with all the Silverstone volunteers or workers and he was clearing up all the plastic and yeah. rubbish. Absolute hero. Very good. Absolutely. I hero. saw him running around on his pedal bike, overtaking yeah. everyone. But <laughs> he's very become, good. He's becoming a great human being. Yeah. He's becoming a great human no, being. No, I think he's always been a good human being, mate. As in, it's why he's one of my favourite drivers. And I used to, you know, he's not competitive anymore, obviously. But I really, I've never met him, obviously, but I, he really comes across well as a person. He's not interested in social media. Mm-hmm. He, he's a very family orientated man, and I think people should look at him and uh, and I'm sure he's a role model for for many people. Um, but he, he comes across as a real yeah. top. And the way he's starting to give back You've to met the world him as well, right? Yeah, yeah, a handful of times. Always yeah. so nice, so yeah. interested by everything. So yeah, just genuine and down to earth. Yeah. You know, I always got on with him very well. Um, so yeah, it was just nice to see. Um, but anyway, we just spoke about that flat plane cranked uh, V8 over in the Valhalla. Let's talk about V8s for a second because the lovely Autocar, thank you Autocar uh, for helping giving us topics to talk about, uh, compiled a list recently which was the greatest V8 engine cars ever made. Oh. And I thought, you know, it, like, let's, let's scroll through that. We're fans of V8s. We are. And coming off the back One of talking my favourite engines. Say, I think it is my favourite yeah. engine. I think I can't say it. But as we know, we've long talked about the fact that V12s might not be around for that much longer. V8s are also slightly declining with Merck moving away from them. Mm. And uh, oh, God, there's a fly. Sorry, a fly landed on my finger just then and I had a little panic attack. Uh, anyway, so yeah, let's, let's see what they've included. As we know with Autocar, great outlet, but some of their online lists can be a little hit and miss, can't they? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we will kick things off and open it up with Aston Martin, the V8 Vantage. I think one of the most iconic Astons everywhere. The the big, the bulky guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that makes sense. Five point three liter V8, big yeah. shouty thing. There's a couple knocking around here at Duke of London every now and again, and yeah, love that thing. Oh, I I, I changed the slide and I got an Audi R8, but it still said V8 Vantage. That was confusing. Audi R8. Mm. I don't know if that's the greatest V8 engine ever, but it's a great car. Well, it is a good engine, mate. Yeah. As in, yeah, yeah. The I mean, 4.2? It's, I mean, it's not now, but in it's bulletproof, that engine was. Interesting. And uh, as well, you know, that was that was people's first view into a proper everyday supercar that... We can't call it a supercar now because five minutes ago, we we're talking about an RS3, which is definitely faster than yeah. a supercar. <laughs> but of its time, of its time, and I was still—I actually—I drove this car last year, and I said it is still a supercar mm. because you rock up to anyone's house who's not us. That's still a supercar. The reaction that will give you, the feeling you'll get, everything like that—that's still a supercar. And it, RS3 will never give you that. It, no, for sure. So definitely for for looks, it, it's definitely still a supercar, and it still looks fairly modern as well when you think about it. Um, but the performance is now. Terrible. But that happens. That's the time, that's but age. That, you know. that V8 engine is loosely married with the V8 RS4 engine. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Um, which, again, is a bulletproof V8 engine. So it just keeps going. Yeah. Okay. We've got to applaud that then. A uh, big old Bentley here that I'm looking at. Um, not interested. <laughs> Let me just close this because it's not updating at all. Um, I'm not always going to know what we're looking at. Anyway, moving on. Uh, was there a V8 in the E... What's that? The M5 Five series. It's an M5. Yeah, M5 oh. E30. Yeah. What would that be? E39? E39, yeah. That is a sought-after car at the moment. Manual car. Like, that is really starting to go up. Like, manual car, heavily appreciated. Like, I, I think that's one to watch. It's so weird as well, because 
again, that's another one of them cars that I had probably 12 or 13 years ago and I could not give the flipping yeah. thing away. Now everyone wants them. Five or six grand. I couldn't give it away. It represents a peak era of BMW. Yeah. It is a good car though. Yeah. I, I'm hoping to have a go one because remember we talked about that blue and tan one recently. Friend oh of, yeah. A friend of mine reached out who's got a green and tan one. Fair enough. <gasps> and he said if I want to have a go I want to have a go. So I'm, I'm hoping to, to experience that. I, I need to learn more about it. Um, but yeah. money pit that car. I used to do Vanos units. and Really? Yeah. The Vanos units were a But fortune. people are going nuts. Yeah. The yeah, Vanos yeah. are going through the roof. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Cadillac CTSV. Now, I actually I drove a CTSV and an ATSV in America during Vlog Angeles years ago. I actually really like them. They're monsters. <laughs> They're what you want from a big hunking American V8. Yeah, you know the kind of big shouty six point two liter stuff, like just you know it, insane and and yeah, what you'd want to see. Uh, Chevy Corvette, I guess. Yeah, makes makes sense. You know, again, Americana stuff. We don't know enough about it, so we'll move on. Um, Dodge Challenger. Mm. You've never experienced one of those, have you? No. Oh, mate, that thing's a monster. Yeah. And they had that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. And they did that. Uh, what was the special edition one, which was like 800 horsepower? You had the Hellcat. Yeah. But you had another one, which was insane. And again, big 6.3. H- Hennessy. Oh, Hennessy did a tune on one, but this yeah. is from factory. This was oh, literally right. just dodged themselves. Um, this is the thing about V8s is you can have, like my 360, but then you can also have these big, shouty, gargly monsters. Yeah. yeah. Great engines. Uh, Ferrari 355. I mean, yeah. I'll lean towards 360 if I'm honest. But That's three, a beautiful sounding engine. Like it, that, amazing sounding engine. 355. Don't go nowhere, but... <laughs> <laughs> Looks great and <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Ford Mustang. I mean, of course. Yeah. Uh, Jaguar XJR. Now, I actually have always been quite tempted by the, what was the sort of, it was like a final edition or a 10-year edition of an XJR, which came up with the chrome oh, bit. Really? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're so odd. You <laughs> just love the- I loved it. I always wanted it. It's like a little cruise around a little executive saloon. <laughs> It was so nice. Yeah, like it's quite like the final edition or something like that. Yeah. It was so nice. So I've always quite been a fond of those, but used to rust them. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, Jensen Interceptor, Lotus Esprit. List goes on. McLaren P1, of course. I don't know Mm. if I mean like pretty impressive, but I wouldn't necessarily I think that more of the tech that was involved with it. I think the C63, the one that ended up in the Black Series Formula. The, six, the 6.3, the NA car. I think one of the most iconic V8s of all time. Yeah, it's a good engine. It's a well, great, great engine. engine yeah. Sound, performance, yeah. etc. Yeah. Morgan Plus 8, woohoo. Yeah. Uh, Porsche with the 928. Um, it wasn't a good engine. I can, I can imagine. Not highly so. Range Rover, big old V8 Range Rovers. That definitely wasn't a, a good engine here. either. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to start going in as we make our way through the list. Toyota Land Cruiser, the big shouty V8 Land that Cruiser. That was a good engine. It's a monster. Yeah. Vauxhall VR X, uh, X, ah, VXR8. VXR8. Thank yeah, you very much. Good God, I'm really stumbling. Uh, and you know what? I reckon the list could go on. Mm. And there's a few in there which I agree with you. I would discount. What do you think about a Rover P5B? No, no, no. No chance. No, no chance. What do you think the best? What do you think the best V8 engine is ever made? Well, you've caught me off guard there a little bit. Um, well, I mean, you could say uh, officially, according to awards, uh, the the F8, the four eight eight, the if one every award in the world is the best engine ever made, didn't it? Mm. But yeah, it was only for its time, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So. I don't know. What you what would you say? You've called me to there's too many. There are a lot. Three sixty, sure. <laughs> I, I think that AMG engine's gotta be there. 
That's mm-hmm. some, you know that's right up there. That I would totally point, agree. That's totally six point two V eight or six point three, whatever they call it. Um, there's got to be a a V eight Ferrari engi- engine in there at yep. some point. <sighs> I mean that turbocharged that that four eight eight that is a fantastic. engine. It's an amazing but, engine. But I don't know. I, I don't like the variety of a V eight. The V tens right for me is just a bit too barky. They're yeah. cool, but they're always just a bit like, ah, it's a very yeah. Paul Wallace and a Gallardo is yeah. a V10. <laughs> V12, we know, symphonic. Mm. Like, and beautiful and possibly the greatest engine in terms of, I don't know what, mechanics, you know, the, the fact that you can have a V12 and a Rolls Royce that doesn't move, it's so smooth. Yeah. But then you can have it in an A12 super fast and it sounds like, you know, Pavarotti yeah. or something. They particularly sound well, the V12s, right up in the revs when they're really singing. Um, you know, I think a V8 can sound good low and high. Yes. Depending on how it's mapped, though, as well, because the obviously they have these all these V8s, people go, why have they all got different sounds? And it's how the... Um, Cylinders fire. Correct. Of course. Yeah. But that's what I love, is that, that there's so many cars with V8s. I mean, we've gone from an M5 through to a 355 through to a Range Rover. It's a versatile engine. Great soundtrack, great performance, usually well reliable, and you can kind of cram it into anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's put you know, a let's put a V eight in an ABBA. You know what else is a good good V eight engine as well? Go on. In the M three, mm. that's a good. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit sort of cumbersome. down. Yeah, it's a bit. You bit got, of a blunt, a bit fruity, yeah. But it is a good engine. Well, fair enough. We, we know we love a V8, but yeah. I thought I'd jump into that autocar uh, article just after our Valhalla chat. Now, the sort of main meaty topic I wanted to get into today, which I don't know how long we're going to talk about, but off the back of my post on Instagram that I was selling the 911, I saw a lot of comments, once again, going, oh, YouTubers, classic, buying and selling cars, here we go again. And something that I kind of... I haven't really been part of for a while because I don't tend to buy and sell that many cars. Um, and, you know, the 360, I've had basically four years now. I couldn't and believe. Insane, right? Told, four, four years, years in October. I remember when you picked it up. Four years in October. Unbelievable. Time flies. Um, but yeah, most of the time I keep my cars for a, a year or just over. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I mentioned, when I picked up the Abarth and the 911, these were the two t- the first two times that I bought cars, you know, for YouTube rather than cars you know, as projects, as, you know, 12-month projects. They were always supposed to be 12-month projects. Um, but the 911, unfortunately, its life is uh, ending a little bit sooner than that. So, uh, you know, it, just, it was an experiment, and I tried it. But it was interesting to see how quickly audience kind of jumped, or some of the audience jumped back into, oh, here he goes, like, just going to sell everything, buy and sell everything. And I sort of wanted to address why YouTubers, I guess, buy and sell so many cars, but why any of us do. And fundamentally, all I'll clarify to begin with is, if you are someone who's passionate about cars, right, and you have the opportunity to buy or sell and experience multiple cars at any one point in time, aren't you going to do that? Yeah. In the sense that I know you, you're, you're not a YouTuber, but you're in the car industry. I think you change your car every three or four months. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you're worse than most YouTubers, <laughs> if we're honest. Let's be honest about it. Which is, uh, which is one good reason why I stopped putting all my personal stuff on YouTube, because I was just fed up with people saying, oh, you're a flipper, you're this, you're this. If someone buys something, and by the way, I have a lot of customers that don't have their car a year. I, I've literally bought a car this morning. I supplied it to the bloke in December. It's now not even August. He, yep. said he wants to sell it, which is totally fine. 
if someone buys something and whether whether they're selling it for more than they paid for it or under or the same, once they buy it, they own it. It's up to them. You know, you, you always have these, these people going around about, and it's always on special Ferraris and special Porsches where you're, you're flipper. But we always know the mechanics and the background behind that. The cars you've had to buy and lose money on to get the to get the special car. By that point, you're probably so pissed off, you just want to try and get some money. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably fuming at that point. For sure, yeah. So I don't. I know I do it as a job, but I don't. It's your money, mate. I don't really see any problem with anyone. Not just YouTubers, but because you're all in the public eye. It's a problem because you're all supposed to keep your cars and and keep them forever until you run them in the ground. I don't really understand it. Well, the thing is, and I think online, you know, collectors are full foul of this as well. You know, there's there's a pressure online when you buy a car and you're posting about it that you are supposed to keep it forever. That you know that that's the sort of expectation, and people do get frustrated when cars leave collection stuff because I think people are invested in it, and I totally get that. And look, this is my business. Like, why? So why do YouTubers buy so many cars? Fundamentally, if you're unaware of this, within automotive, but I actually think within any sector, it's a content opportunity. My business is to create content. Yeah. You know, so I'm always looking for ideas, narratives, stories. Now, there's loads of different ways that that can be done, and there's loads of different sectors within YouTube, etc. But whether you are someone who makes videos about household interior or remodeling, or whether you're someone who talks about bricklaying, or whether you're someone like me who films cars, I bought a car, that is a video. And we've seen over the years in varying sort of levels, that that's a, that can be a big video on an automotive YouTube channel. Yeah. And there are channels like Shmi, like JWW, like TG, and a lot of the Americans who've made huge successful channels out of continuously buying and selling cars, building a collection because of that interest, that intrigue. Oh, wow, they bought a new car and I want to follow that story and I want to see what it's like to pick it up, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think as time went on, some... YouTube channels, and I definitely will be part of this, you know, we would buy a car, start off that story, start off that experience. Hey, this is my new car and I'm going to film it, I'm going to use it. Not create enough content on that car so that when we came to sell it, six, nine, 12, 18 months later, an audience member would feel that, oh, I don't feel like I really saw much with that car. Like, that's a shame. I was excited and invested and now it's gone. And so they feel a little bit let down. Now, that I understand because I'm an automotive YouTube channel. I've presented my car to you as, look, this is a car I've bought. Let's follow this journey. And then when I sell it, it feels like a bit of a cop-out. It would be like watching Top Gear and them saying, hey, we've got a 812 Competizione in the studio. Can't wait to show you more on it. And then at the end of the series going, yeah, well, actually, we're not going to do anything on the 812 Competizione, so that's that. Yeah. I would get it. You'd be like, oh, yeah. that's a bit of a letdown. Yeah. However, this is my flip side of it on the other side is that, for me, at least, I've only ever bought cars that I wanted to buy, right? You, you know, have, ap yeah. Apart from these last two. And then made content with them, and if people are interested, they're interested. Um, now, I run the risk there of then no one caring about the cars I have on my channel. And let's face it, the 360 was always a bit of a quirky one in that sense, and I bought other quirky cars. And maybe if I had followed the the sort of, you know, traditional format and bought more cars that were more YouTube friendly. Yeah. Could have got more views. Yeah. But I've never thought, I mean, it's a lot of money. <laughs> so well, what you haven't done compared to some other YouTubers as well, you've never ever, and I've known you some years now, you've never ever spent beyond your means. As in, you've only ever bought cars that you are comfortable with financially. 
which is one of the reasons why you bought the 360, right? Because if you probably had all the money in the world, you probably would have bought, well, one, you'd have bought a CS, we know that, or you'd have bought maybe a more modern one. But you, you always, you've always been very sensible. And I saw firsthand how much you flapped when you bought that brand new McLaren. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but that's because it, it's a lot of money, mate. It's a ton of money. It's whereas, a ton of money. quite a lot of people online, they'll stretch themselves and buy stuff that they can't necessarily afford, sell the dream, then two weeks later it's gone. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this, this, is, this is a sort of part of it is that, you know, there's a content opportunity to be made there, right? And I think that's, as an audience member, as someone who watches car channels, as well as, you know, creates content for a car channel, I, I do get excited when someone buys a new car. I want to follow that story. I want to be invested in that, mm. that sort of series. So, you know, when that car gets sold prematurely or that story doesn't come to fruition, I can understand. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that, that's a shame. I would have liked to have followed that. But I think there's definitely sometimes a sort of, as you say, an accusation, whether it's as a online content creator or car collector or whatever it might be of, oh, bloody hell, you, you, no one can stick to anything. Like that, that's what I sort of saw as a frustration. It's like, oh, here he is. You know, no one can stick to a project. And, you know, car YouTubers are all the same. They buy stuff just to get the views of eyeball and then they sell it once that, you know, that sort of wave has gone down. But I think that's the problem now. I don't think you are getting the views that you used to. I don't, I, I think a lot of people see see through it and I'm not talking about you or a couple of the others but I think people have seen through it now and they, they, they're just it's too like oh not again not you know it's too mundane you know and people are just fed up with seeing new car new car new car new car I think you're right yeah. I think I think that's exactly I think we've got to a point now where that storyline maybe doesn't work having said that though if you look at some channels when new cars are bought, it is still a peak. It's still a spike. It's not what it used to be. Tim runs his business that way. Well, as Shmi said, we spoke, we, we spoke to him yeah, in great, yeah, yeah. great length about it. I think, you know, back in the day, uh, people would buy a car, right? And that car would probably be on their channel for a year. Mm. And that meant a whole load of content. Yeah. Where now people are buying three or four cars per year and chopping and changing and swapping. And so the storylines are a little bit more convoluted and therefore the spike isn't so high because I think the audience have, as you say, wisened up a bit, care slightly less, but also that storyline's not the same. Yeah. You know, you're not investing in one car that you're then going to follow this adventure with because it's usually a car it's a, that's being added to another collection. So you're like, okay, cool, there's another one. Like, great. Like, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. And the other big reason, mate, and the biggest reason will be money. As in, when you all boy, when all you boys come on the scene, I'm not talking about Tim or Paul so much because they were a bit longer. But when all the rest of you come on the scene, you was all getting in and out of cars for free. As in, what I mean is because the market there was there was a bubble, wasn't there? There was a couple of year bubble where everyone was sort of buying normal series production supercars and not doing their brains. Except me. <laughs> Yeah, because you was buying stuff buying that stupid stuff. Not just that, you were buying within your means. And, yeah. and, and and as well, there's another thing as well. There's quite a few of you that actually use them. Like you can say what you like about Shmi. But he uses his cars, mate. For Every sure. single one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. so and you're the same and a couple of others. Well, except that nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, but that's why you're selling it. Yeah, there so we go. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. but in general, your history tells the internet that you buy cars because one you want them and two you're going to use them 
and you're not the only one that's doing that. But nowadays, what's happening now is that they have to come in and out of these cars. One, because I don't know if half of them can actually afford to buy them. They're just doing it for views, which doesn't make any sense because there's no money in YouTube. You've spoke about this before. Um, and two, I, I think they feel they've got an image to uphold. And I, and it's like a double-edged sword. They're, they're prepared to put themselves into huge debt for very little reward. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's it's chasing an old formula, right? You yeah, know, which is you know easy to fall into that rut of things have moved on. Yeah, yeah. oh, you know things. Have, oh, I haven't got much content to make at the minute. Things are a bit slow. How do I reinvigorate my channel? Oh, I'm going to go and buy something mm. that will create a spike. And and the problem is, it does still work in the short term. Yes, you can get that sort of one video, maybe two videos, sort of spike, and then you're like, okay, great, that yeah. worked. But then you very quickly fall back into that into that rut. I think. If I'm really honest with myself, because I, I feel like I'm coming across sounding a little bit defensive at the moment, where probably seeing those comments of people being like, oh, I can't believe you're already getting rid of the 911. Oh, classic. Like, oh, it probably touched a nerve. Because I think there was a part of me which felt disappointed in myself or felt like I was letting myself and the channel down that I had bought this car, I'd built it up and then not really done much with it. Yeah. And I probably did feel like some of the channels that I don't appreciate so much that do that, that they literally buy a car and it's gone in three videos time. And and that's the thing for, for me, that's probably why I'm now coming across, oh, I want to talk about this, because it probably did touch the nerve and I have to be honest about that. But at the same time, life is life and, and, and there's money in that car and it's, it's my money and my business. So I have to allow myself to make those decisions like I always have. That's how I always run the channel. Mm. You know, I've always just bought and sold cars when I've wanted to, how I've wanted to, mm. et cetera. And I think because I did it differently with the 911 and the Abarth, and then I saw a few comments that triggered me slightly to be like, oh, you're the same as everyone else. I'm like, well, firstly, I don't think we all are anymore. Mm. There are some channels that still buy and sell cars a lot. Mm. And we all know who they are. And, and Tim is one of them. And he's mm. made a huge success out of it. But then It's how he runs his business, though, mate. And, he, and he's already spoken to us here and off camera of how he offsets it and how he, how yeah. he actually does it. Um. I'm not going to go into any great detail because it's not for me to say. Tim will... No, no, but, actually, but that, that's, that is our business. You know, yeah. that, that, uh, that's exactly it. But I think, I think it's more so that if I take myself out of the picture for a second and, and analyse it, you know, if I saw a channel buy a Challenge for Dali and then after six months sell that Challenge for Dali, I'd be like, what are you doing? What, like, what are you thinking about? Mm. Now... <laughs> they're totally within their own rights to do whatever they want. Of course they are. It's them, it's their business, it's their channel, exactly. it's their money, it's their, their life. It's their life. They yeah. can do it. But so th I do get that frustration, I think. If, and it's also when it's, you know, it's that kind of thing of like, uh, 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 I don't know what it is and I don't know why I'm frustrated about it. I'm trying to sort of almost psychoanalyze myself as I'm making these points. <laughs> um, but there's definitely something within me that, that frustrated me that I saw people immediately going to the old oh, classic YouTuber buying and selling cars and I think it's more so that we're five years down the line and I say I thought people had wisened up to the fact that that is just part of how the YouTube game works mm. we're not all the same you know sometimes there's different reasons for different things different some projects work some projects don't work um, every channel slightly different correct I think I just felt a bit a bit persecuted maybe I'm being a bit too defensive I don't know no I, I don't think you are and I think sometimes the not this audience by the way but I just think in general YouTube audience can be a bit harsh on all different creators not just automotive just in general 
Don't forget, guys, what you lot do is completely free to watch. You you have to create a story. And however you feel as a person, you need to do that. Whether that means you go out and buy loads of cars and then you sell them in weeks and then you start, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. If you think that that's how that's a business model and you think that's how you're going to achieve your goals, no problem. You know, because there's such a thing in a YouTube video called an advert, which is how you're all paid. So, you know, you have to, you have to, it's kind of like you're all on the wheel. You know what I mean? You, you have to keep creating and feeding that monster. You all just have different ways of doing it. And and that's basically what it boils down to. Yeah, and we're not always, you know, we're not always going to get it right. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're not always going to get it right. And, and you know, I, I think that's what it is. We're just figuring it out as we go. But, you know, it was interesting to see, and this is always a, a, a few when it comes to these conversations, you know, the majority of any of my audience are always incredible. And, and it's never malicious, but as many sort of, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Things that were like, oh, you know, classic, you know, selling the car you know, such an auto YouTuber. They were also like, can't wait to see what you get next. Like, I definitely didn't say I was getting anything next. Like, yeah. you know, it's not an immediate assumption. If you sell something, you're going to buy something else. Like, you know. In your world, it is. I, th- that's, that's the thing, the right? Problem. So this is the thing, you know, why do YouTubers still buy and sell cars? It's business. Unfortunately, that, that yeah. is it. That is the business of car YouTubing. I would agree. And I long for cars that I can love and own for a long time, like the 360. I don't want to constantly buy and sell cars. We've spoken a lot about my desire to have another F-Type because I've worked out that's really the only car that makes me super happy and I want a car that I can keep forever as well. I don't want to keep changing. Same time, I do want to buy and buy lots of things like that PDK GT4 thing. Oh, I'd like one of these. You know, if I won the Euro Millions, I'd be buying everything. But oh, yeah, of course. It, is that real? Yeah, but, but, but I think also half the fun of it is experiencing all these different things. So that that's a really big that's a really big point. Experience. I've got lots of customers and friends that that's what they'll do. Just want to experience just different stuff. Jump in and out of cars, and some of my best pals that I go away with, like you can't call them flippers, but then if they were online, they'd be called flippers because they buy a car, they take it on a trip, they come back, they sell it, they get another one. But that's just because they want to experience all the cars. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's their money. It's your money. It's my money. It's your money. It's everyone's money. It's your life. You can do whatever you like with it. Unfortunately, you play to an audience, mate, and you're yeah. judged on that. I think there's there's it's plenty of people, plenty of people doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, not just not just you auto YouTubers. Um 
but yeah, I, I think I think we've addressed that point, which as I say, it's you know, it's just it's life. It's people in the car world. It's it's content. It's a narrative story. As many as long as people are watching or there's a potential to watch, there's content to be made there. So I don't always support it. I don't like buying and selling things lots of quickly or or basically resorting to the I bought her. Uh, just for cheap views, um, but clearly it touched some nerves. <laughs> touched and some nerve can and... vote with their feet. Yeah, I'm not going to sound derogatory because this isn't my world. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Agreed. Agreed. It's as simple as that. You're not paying for it. It's completely free, and that don't just go for you. That goes for YouTube in general, all the automotive industry and life. If and Taylor life. Swift comes on the radio, I change the station. No, Sorry, Taylor. No one's got a gun to your head. You haven't got to watch him or watch anyone. That's it. <laughs> well, we'll end it there. Um, so anyway, that's this week's episode finished. Uh, we'll be back next week with our second behind the glass live episode. See, that'll be super exciting. Oh Can't yeah, wait for that. Ah, ah, he's ready. I'm going in. He's going in on everyone. Uh, if you want to follow Tony, he's at Tony Grubwood Car Sales on most social media platforms. I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media platforms. I can never say that. Uh, if you want to keep watching us, hit subscribe, turn on notifications. And if you're listening to us, we'll keep following us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.